From savannahnow.com, I'm Adam Van Brimmer, and this is The Commute. On today's episode, a Glen County jury convicted the killers of Avon Arbery on murder charges last week. Journalist Raisa Haversham joins the podcast to discuss the verdict, the reaction, and what comes next. Today is Tuesday, November the 30th, and this is the Commute Podcast presented by National Office Systems. The long, long, long path to justice for the three men who stalked, cornered, and killed Ahmad Arbery reached its end last Wednesday when a jury returned guilty verdicts. Journalist Raisa Haversham, who's covered the case since late 2020, is set to join me here. That's coming right up after I tell you about our sponsor, National Office Systems. If you are a regular listener to The Commute, you know about Scott Center and his team over at National Office Systems and how they are Savannah's experts in office design and outfitting. They work with top quality suppliers such as Dirt Modular Interiors and Herman Miller Office Furniture to create comfortable and productive workspaces. Learn more by visiting www.natoffsys.com. Now, here's the Arbery Murder Trial recap with journalist Raisa Haversham. Joined on the commute one more time by journalist Raisa Haversham, who has been covering the Ahmed Arbery Murray trial for us. Of course, most people know that the, the trial wrapped up, at least the uh, everything but the sentencing, wrapped up last Wednesday, the day before Thanksgiving, with the jury bringing back a verdict of murder for all three of the defendants, both the McMichaels and Roddy Bryan, who was the, he took the, the, the famous film, of the incident and also played a role in, in pretty much uh, pinning or trapping Ahmed Arbery in and uh, leading to the final confrontation. But the jury got the trial. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Raise. I think it was either Monday or early Tuesday. Monday. And, uh, and within basically 24 hours, I'd come back with a verdict. Let's start with, with what happened with, with the closing arguments and what we know about the jury and their deliberations, I, I know it, it, it. that's a relatively quick turnaround, and it makes you think that uh, there wasn't a whole lot of deliberations going on in the, in the jury room. But as you listen to closing arguments and the attorneys made their cases one more time, what kind of stuck out to you about it? Sure. I think I will say this in listening to Linda Donikoski, who is the Cobb district attorney um, who was, I think, the fourth DA to get this case. Um, I would, I think for some people, they were a little concerned with the opening statements because they just weren't sure she laid it out as thoroughly as possible. But I think she nailed it um, in the closing arguments when she set the scene. And I think she did a good job of using um, the McMichaels and uh, words against them in um, William Bryan's actions, or in this case, inactions, because he didn't call 911 against him. Um, and there was no skirting around what each of their roles were. Um, And she did a really good job pointing out that there were options for them as well. Um, I think of the closing arguments from the defense, Laura Hogues, um, who represented uh, Gregory McMichael, um, the father to Travis McMichael, the shooter in this case, um, her comments stood out the most, um, just trying to paint a negative image of Ahmaud Arbery uh, pointing to his, quote, dirty toenails, end quote, um, mm-hmm. and just painting him as uh, almost as a criminal, essentially. Mm-hmm. And we've seen this play out before 
um, in cases like this where you do have where while the defense has made it known that race is not a factor, you know, they still interjected it in different right. factions, particularly subtly. in the closing art. Right. Yes, subtly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that cannot be ignored. I don't know how that played out with jurors. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if she was trying to play on the fact that the jury was majority white women. You had one black man. Um, but it likely didn't go over well. Um, from my viewpoint, it looked like the jury listened to um, Chatham County Superior Court judges Timothy Walmsley's instructions and followed them to a T. They took into account the definitions that were laid before them and came back with guilty verdicts on most everything. Um, I think the one thing that probably had them uh, tripped up was just the charges against William Bryan um, and just seeing how they can weigh whether weigh whether or not what his role was in this and how he kind of factored into this. I think that going forward, obviously, is sentencing. So it'll be interesting to see what his what he gets compared to, say, Travis McMichael and, and Greg McMichael, who right. um, was found guilty on all counts except for malice murder. Because he had pulled the trigger, right? Yes, and aggravated assault, and right. one of the aggravated assault charges. Right. Another interesting thing about how this went down last week was this all happens under the backdrop of something happening in Wisconsin. In Wisconsin, the Kyle Rittenhouse uh, verdict came down. Uh, not to get too deeply into it, but but Rittenhouse was his defense. Rittenhouse shot and killed two people during protests in Kenosha, Wisconsin last year. He injured a third. And basically, he went to defend his employer's car lot. Kind of just bear with me here. He went to defend his employer's car lot. He took, a, he took an assault rifle with him. He was a teenager. Uh, some of the protesters saw him with the weapon. There was a confrontation. Rittenhouse felt threatened. Uh, he shot and killed two, injured a third, and in the Wisconsin trial, he pled self-defense. So you have that going on, and he gets acquitted. So while all that is going on, you have this trial in Georgia where it's apples to oranges, but at the same time, the defense is using a self-defense argument, right? They're saying, well, the citizen's arrest law that was on the books in Georgia at the time gave us the gave us the right to to accost Mr. Arbery because we thought he was he had he had stolen or or did some damage or something in in a neighbor's house. So we were using the citizens' arrest powers. We confronted him and he reached for the gun. So he was killed because we were acting in self defense. So you have what has come down in Wisconsin while the end of this trial is going on. From where you were, did you get the sense that that what happened is Wisconsin caused any kind of angst amongst maybe not the people involved in the trial, but the people surrounding the trial? Was there any uh, concern about the whole defense argument and how what played out in Wisconsin might just play out that way in Georgia as well? That's a good question. Um, I think because of its proximity, people were heavily following this trial more so than the Rittenhouse one. Um, I think that there was concern about, well, if this did happen in the Rittenhouse trial, could it potentially happen here? But as you pointed out, these are different set of circumstances. Sure. Um, In Rittenhouse's case, you know, there 
the defense laid an argument of this was a mob that was coming onto a property and he mm-hmm. had a right to attack. Mm-hmm. In this case, Ahmad Arbery was not on anyone's property. He was merely running through the neighborhood, which is his right. He did not steal anything. Um, there was no evidence of that. There was only suspicion involved here. Um, and assumptions, as um, Donikoski had pointed out in her opening and closing arguments, right. um, for there to have been a citizen's arrest truthfully made, mm-hmm. he needed to be on someone's property mm-hmm. and you, they needed to have knowledge that he actually took something. Okay. Um, the man whose property was at the center of this, Larry English, um, testified through via video that there was nothing taken from mm-hmm. the property. Mm-hmm. Um, and that there were multiple people who were running in and out of his home out of either curiosity or um, you had small children there who were playing around in the property. Um, and that's when he asked one of his neighbors to kind of look out in that way. Um, and it became something completely different. So yeah. I think that there was probably some concern that this trial might end up like the Rittenhouse trial, but I think there was just different dynamics here. I think that um, there were other things that played this trial. We saw that early on, obviously going back to February 23rd, and even later, there were not um, measured steps taken to ensure that this was thoroughly investigated. Um, I think there's also the fact that um, some jurors didn't weren't even aware too closely of what was going on. Um, one woman, uh, juror, when we did a juror profile had said that her husband kept wanting to talk about it, but she didn't want to talk about it at all. Um, so I think, you know, you have to think about community dynamics here as well and kind of what they were hope, what people were hoping for, residents were hoping for. Right. And that leads me to my next question was reaction. Obviously you had a, you had the family, you had a lot of, uh, rights groups around the courthouse throughout, throughout the trial felt very vindicated, felt that justice had been done. Can you talk a little bit about their reaction and then also what you sensed from the, from the community at large? I imagine it was probably a little bit of relief that, that this thing was over, but how did they feel about the verdict? Sure. Um, well, obviously, I wasn't inside the mm-hmm. courtroom that day, but you did see a very strong reaction from Marcus Arbery, um, Ahmad Arbery's uh, father. Mm-hmm. Um, he actually was asked to leave because of his outburst. So he didn't hear the rest of the um, verdict, or if he did, he probably was in the media overflow room. Um, but it was very strong reaction. I think um, one thing that was brought up and that I've kind of seen throughout the weekend and convert and looking at um, Wanda Cooper Jones, Ahmaud Arbery's mother's comments was, you know, she prayed and she prayed for this. You know, she just said she just was not going to give up. And it was interesting. One person brought up that, you know, should someone have to pray for justice? You know, if there was no video, would this even see the light of day? Um, I think for her, she's relieved, but she also has a civil suit against the McMichaels and uh, several officers in uh, Glenn County, the Glenn County Police Department. Um, Outside the courtroom, everyone was excited. I mean, I think for a lot of people who had been there day in, day out, particularly Diane um, Jackson, um, Ahmaud Arbery's aunt, you know, she said she was not going to go inside the courtroom. It was too much for her. Mm-hmm. But for her, it was just a relief. Um, and I asked her, you know, 
what would an apology do for you? Like, would it have done anything? And, you know, she said she would have liked an apology, you know, from Nick Michaels, from William Bryan, um, you know, some sense of remorse. But that obviously isn't the case here. I think she's looking toward the hate crimes trial as well. I think residents overall, there is a sense of relief. Um, I think that, you know, the convention, conviction is one thing. I think some people are looking for the sentencing mm-hmm. and people are looking toward the hate crimes trial. But also tomorrow is the runoff race in Brunswick um, between one candidate who was endorsed by the Arbery family. Um, so it'd be curious to see how this trial plays out for them locally. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say that for some, while this is a relief, I think for others, this is also an opportunity to do more work and ensuring that this does not happen again. You mentioned sentencing. I know we, we're not exactly sure when that's coming, but it's coming soon. And then the hate crimes trial, I want to say it's here in Savannah in February. Is that the tentative? Uh, yes, it'll be in February. February 7th, jury selection starts. Right. And that, that'll that be a federal trial. Yeah. How do you just kind of spitballing? Because I know you're trying to catch your breath from last week, but how is that going to be different? What should we expect out of that one as compared to what we've seen over the last six, seven weeks? Sure. Um, as you mentioned, sentencing in the state, uh, criminal state trial will likely begin in the coming weeks. Mm-hmm. I imagine that, that sentencing will be um, had sometime in December, definitely before the end of the year. Um, the federal hate crimes trial starts February 7th for jury selection. Um, I think in that trial, if I'm not mistaken, um, evidence in that will be a little different. So while we know that Travis McMichael uttered a racial slur over Ahmaud Arbery's body, mm-hmm. per what um, William Bryan said, mm-hmm. we, didn't, we didn't hear that in the criminal case. Okay, We will likely hear that in the... Um, in the federal case. Um, Another thing that was played during the state trial, but probably may play more heavily during the um, hate crimes trial was just the observance of black neighbors in the Cicillo Shores neighborhood. Um, There was a body cam footage from um, one night, I think it was the February 11th night, and the neighbors were out talking about who they thought in the neighborhood, whose son it might be. Mind you, this is their neighborhood, too. So if it's their son, then that man is entitled to run through the neighborhood. You can't say, well, you can't run on this street. No, they are part of that neighborhood, too. Mm -hmm. Um, And just the way in which they talk about their neighbors may be um, probably brought up during the hate crimes trial. So those are some things that might be different. Um, from the criminal case versus the federal case. Right. And we know with, with sentencing, we're probably looking at life in prison. I think that's yeah. kind of the, the minimum sentencing. What would the hate crimes trial at it, it, it? Just assuming for a second, there's the, the guilty verdict there. Does that change anything to do with sentencing for the, for the state trial? Well, so um, based on a story we recently wrote, um, one thing that could happen, it could, uh, face, I think, uh, another life imprisonment, um, or it could be uh, a different type of sentencing depending on the um, judge. So instead of life, you may get, they may get, say, five. I don't know that they will get five. Um, they could get a fine, um, and they have potential to face death. Um, and this is per the FBI um, 
information on the FBI's website about hate crime laws and how their um, how the sentencing could work in those cases. Hmm. Um, yes, and so because if I re- recall correctly, because in the instance, because what they did resulted in death, in a death, right? That's why death penalty is at play here. Well, we'll let you uh, catch your breath before you think too hard about February the 7th and the next leg of the trial. Before I let Raisa go, I want to plug earlier today, we're recording this on Monday, the 29th, and earlier today on Georgia Public Broadcasting, she appeared on Political Rewind, which is one of my favorite shows, uh, hosted by Bill Neggett, and uh, talked all about the Arbery trial, gave just really good insights along with the panel. So if you're interested in hearing that, please go to the GPB app and you can find the podcast from that episode on Monday, November the 29th. But Raisa, it's always good to talk to you. I think this was take three or take four on this. And, uh, <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll take a little bit of a break, but good work with everything you've done. And uh, thanks for all that you do. Thank you. I appreciate it. Other news of note in Savannah today. Calls for the Savannah College of Art and Design to contribute financially for the city services they use have intensified. Better Savannah, a policy advocacy group, wants SCAD, which is a nonprofit institution that does not pay property taxes, to enter into a payment in lieu of taxes program, better known as a pilot program, that would require the school and other tax-exempt entities to pay impact fees. Also, the century-old Hulahan Bridge over the Savannah River in Port Wentworth is among the improvement projects that are part of the federal infrastructure package. The state would get $65 million from the feds to replace the bridge, with work to start next year and be completed by 2025. And in sports, the Benedictine Cadets have advanced to the high school football Final Four. BC knocked off defending state champion Marist last Friday and will play North Oconee this Friday, with the winner advancing to the title game. Read these stories and more at savannahnow.com, the online home of the Savannah Morning News. Get full access to savannahnow.com and our mobile app for just $1 a month for the next six months. Go to savannahnow.com slash subscribe now and sign up. Again, that's savannahnow.com slash subscribe now. That's all for the Tuesday Commute Podcast. Thanks again to our presenting sponsor, National Office Systems. For more interviews with local newsmakers, check out the Commute archives by searching The Commute with that Savannah opinion. The Commute returns on Thursday when we talk with state legislators about the 2022 session of the Georgia General Assembly. We'll talk to you then. (laughs) 